Romo. This is episode 20. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. I can't think of a good way to get into this because I'm just absolutely livid. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to like go off on Capcom immediately yeah, with no preamble. They did a showcase and they announced a new Resident Evil movie called Death Island. And Jill threw bullshit lore reasons is basically does not age uh she still looks 23 and leon and chris have aged mm-hmm. uh jill should canonically be about 40 and i just think capcom needs to pay for its crimes they are refusing to give us milf jill valentine and this is unacceptable and i think it's kind of i think you can categorize it as a hate crime I, Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I guess most lovers. Yes. This is preferential treatment for people who love DILFs, for sure. That is it's, not equality. No, it's not. I just want to quickly acknowledge the name Death Island as being the greatest name of a movie ever conceived. Did you think? Do you think they were like, we should do Dead Island? Oh, wait, that's taken. Oh, shit. <laughs> that one's uh, another zombie thing, huh? Okay. Let's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real bummer. It's very silly. I guess it's a thing that, so I'm not a, as we've discussed many times, I am a little coward, so I don't play survival horror games generally. This is like a thing that's established in uh, Resident Evil, right? That if you get Um, the zombie virus or whatever weird version of it that Wesker has, it makes you not age. Sort of. It's like there has been stuff like this before where obviously like the T virus and stuff like messes with people. This is seems like a very convenient use of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Just to be like, we got to keep Jill, you know, young and hot. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, whether it's canonical or not, it's a very much a quiet from Metal Gear Solid 5 kind of thing where it's just <laughs> like we want to leer at this like very young woman for longer so we're gonna justify it with lore and i'm Uh, very upset about this because jill would be so hot yes as a 40 year old milf Um, absolutely yeah it's it's yeah they're just afraid of women aging mm -hmm. is is there that's the real scary part of, of resident evil i'm mad about it because they already gave us hot vampire milf Mm -hmm. and so what are they afraid of it's true. Come on. Give the people hot... what they want. <laughs> By the people, you mean you. Although, I mean, Me? like everybody has been. Like, a lot of people have been dunking on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have the uh, we demand MILFs angle kind of yes. uh, locked on. But yeah, a lot of people have been annoyed at how stupid this is. Like, it is just a, a pretty transparent way of, like, continuing to gawk at this character model that they like. Whereas, yeah, I think you're right. Like, she would be way hotter if, if they actually made her look the age she's supposed to be yeah it is like beyond the it's joke. A huge it's, it's kind of it's it's just kind of bullshit also it's like so stupid yeah it feels like there's no no real purpose and it's just obviously so stupid mm-hmm. you know sometimes when i'm talking about milfs and i'm like really going to bat for how much i like milfs or like how i want characters to step on me these are the moments that i remember that my parents and my therapist all listen to this podcast (laughs) so that's fun so that's good yeah yeah just really really letting people know Mm -hmm. where i stand yeah i mean it's good to not have to uh think of anything to start a session with you know it's (laughs) it's just it's all laid out here for you Mm -hmm. um 
I mean, so more on like actual video game news, Capcom also oh, released. Spend the whole time talking about Joe? I mean, I could. It's, <laughs> I know, actually. <laughs> I don't want to actually tee you up that much. <laughs> I've been waiting. Um, <laughs> but they also they also released the Resident Evil 4 remake demo. Yeah. So you got a chance to play this, right? Because I, I haven't yet. Yeah. So I've played about like half an hour of it. It's It's incredibly short. It's basically, if you've ever played like the original Resident Evil 4, it's it's basically like the intro section where you like open the gates and you're in this like the small little like village environment mm-hmm. where the big chainsaw enemy comes in the first time. Yeah. So it's a very short section, but yeah, a very like um, it, I feel like that's it's a really impressive section. <laughs> like that, that game opens really well. So I think that that's really cool. So how what are you what are your thoughts on it? Like, so I know you, you played the original. Like, how does this how does it feel to play this this remade one? I mean, I think it's like it, it's really good. Um, I think especially compared to like the original and in the context of the other Resident Evil remakes, I think in some ways Resident Evil 4 is like set up to be almost the best because the original Resident Evil 4 is already like an over the shoulder, more actiony game. Mm-hmm. So this just cleans that up and makes it look prettier as opposed to like Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake, which basically like transform the game from like a, you know, tank control horror game to a more modern action game. It plays really well. It's like it's really fun. Um, Leon looks great. His hair is all flowy and he's got a sick jacket. Um, <laughs> but the I, the game plays really well. The combat is very fluid. I think they did a really good job of like keeping the knife play from the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, which is like really satisfying to like slash at zombies. I think something nice about the remake is or about the demo is I feel like people already know if they're going to buy this or not. And it's a really good holdover. Uh, it comes out in like two weeks and it's a really good holdover because it's just this small little like combat encounter, but there's no like time limit on the demo. So basically, it's kind of like a challenge run thing now where yeah. you can just play this and just replay it over and over and over again. <laughs> There's even like a like a secret ultra hard mode for it. Hmm. It's like pretty satisfying. And if if you basically like want something to just hold you over, it's it's really good at that. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly like it. I am excited for the remake a little bit. So it's nice to like get in there and play it. I think it's a gr- it's a great uh, little taste of what's to come. Yeah, I'll have to play around with it a little bit because I did. I mean, I did like Resident Evil Four. We've talked about before. I played it with a little Wii nunchuck, which was a great way <laughs> to play that game. But yeah, two and four were like the Resident Evils that I that I actually played and enjoyed. So there's, I don't know, there's a chance I will play this one. Uh, I, will, I mean, I'm not planning to get it like as soon as it comes out, but I have lots of fond memories of it. I don't know, it does look great. As far as I know, that it's like, it's it's not nearly to the level of the other remakes, though. Like, it is a, more of a straight port. It, is that, does that like kind of fit with your understanding of it? Seemingly, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they've, like, based on, like, interviews and stuff, they've had to do a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which makes sense. Yeah, so it should be good. I, I will say I still I still hold on to the idea that I think um, Capcom should remake Resident Evil Code Veronica next. Oh, yeah? Yes. I haven't heard is... this theory of yours. Okay, well, so basically, like, after Resident Evil 3, there were two different, like, 
games that came out. There's Resident Evil 4, which really like pushed the series into action heavy path. And then there's this other game, Resident Evil Code Veronica, which was a Sega Dreamcast exclusive mm. um, when it first came out. And it's basically how Resident Evil 4 is like, here's what happens to Leon after after Resident Evil 2. Code Veronica is about what happens to Claire after Resident Evil 2. And it it feels like way more in vain of like the traditional Resident Evils. Like Chris comes back and it has to do with like full on like, you know, umbrella zombies rather than these like weird parasite-y um, yeah. Resident Evil 4 stuff is. So it's like it's like a really nice traditional Resident Evil game, but it's really gone under the radar mostly because it was just on the Sega Dreamcast. But yeah, it's really, really good. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's a really good game. Um, and it feels like a really good successor to like Resident Evil 2. And it would be the perfect candidate for like a full on, you know, RE Engine Resident Evil remake. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Like it's it's a series that has has so many different a lot of entries, but like they're mostly remain pretty playable. But yeah, Code Veronica being a Dreamcast exclusive, unfortunately, kind of it makes it a lot harder to access. So yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. I'll I'll sign your petition for this. Yeah. I mean, what else are they gonna do? Remake Resident Evil Five? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> By remake, we're gonna just make it a different game and call it Resident Evil Five. And everyone can <laughs> stop talking about the original one. It makes sense to me too, because like now on the path that we have with Resident Evil, it's like you have the remakes and you have the like main series continuing. And the main series is like this first person y semi-action semi-horror and those are being made and then we have the remakes and like resident evil 4 feels like the last game that should be remade chronologically because you don't really need to do anything beyond that so it's like the last salvageable one yeah so i'm i'm all for code veronica yeah that makes a lot of sense but in addition to capcom there's another showcase from paradox interactive (laughs) which uh do you want to talk about this a little bit so yeah paradox interactive had its own little uh showcase this week uh for anyone who's unfamiliar paradox is a it's a fairly large publisher they tend to be focused a lot on on different types of strategy games which is a i don't know a genre i have like a very kind of mixed relationship with when i when i first got a computer we you know my family did when i was a kid like my favorite games were like Warcraft and, and other uh, like Age of Empires, sort of real-time strategy games like that. Uh, but it's a genre that I sort of have fallen off of uh, a lot in more recent years. But Paradox does kind of continue to be the the stuff that they put out tends to be the, the strategy games that I am still playing. Notably, they've made they've published things like City Skylines. They do like Europa Universalis. They did Stellaris. They do Crusader Kings. Uh, they also publish games that are developed by. Hairbrained Schemes, which is a developer that I that I really love. Uh, they made the the new Shadowrun series and the BattleTech uh, strategy game that came out a few years ago. Um, so I'm I'm a huge fan of like the the Hairbrained Schemes wing of Paradox in particular. But yes, yeah, so before we jump into the show, like what's your kind of relationship with these games, like strategy in general or Paradox stuff in particular? Like is this a, sort of an area of gaming that you you really get into? This is basically like an area and genre that I have like no connection with. Um, I've never really gotten into strategy games. The only kind of 
strategic games I play are more like tactics kind of games, uh, like Final Fantasy tactics, that kind of style, um, more than like larger strategic and like sim type games. The exception is every once in a while, there will be like some games that I on a whim buy because I'm like, this seems cool. Maybe I should try it. Like Stellaris was one of those. I like bought mm-hmm. it on Steam sale and I played it for like an hour and I was like, I have no idea what in God's <laughs> green earth is going on here. Yeah. So I'm just going to bounce out of here. Same with like Homeworld. I always mm-hmm. wanted to get into the Homeworld series because it sounds so cool, but I just don't have the capacity for it. I guess it's just, I am not smart. Um, so I've like, I, I've never really been a paradox fan or like someone who really plays strategy games yeah i'm kind of with you there actually i i tend a lot more toward tactics games than the sort of like real-time strategy these days uh stellaris is one that i i did put a significant amount of time into uh and i've actually been for whatever reason i've been thinking about getting back into it lately like even before i saw this announcement so i may i may put another run in but i um when it comes to real-time strategy, I tend to shy away from the ones that are more war-focused and combat-focused, which is like, a, you know, most of the genre. Uh, when I'm playing games like that, I, I much more, I much prefer like the city builder side of things. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, things from all across that spectrum were shown off at the the Paradox show this week. We're not going to talk about all of it. I think largely because a lot of them are games we don't play. So. For instance, there was a new expansion for Crusader Kings 3 announced. Uh, that's a game that I've always wanted to get into, that and uh, Europa Universalis. Uh, but I just know I don't have like the brain capacity to play. These are what's <laughs> known as like grand strategy games, where it's you're literally leading like an entire dynasty uh, over like hundreds of years and like choosing successors for your rulers and making these alliances. And it seems like if I could make myself like get into it, it would be an incredible amount of fun. But I just, I just know, I, I just I won't feel be able like to do I that. need a PhD to be able to understand these games. Yeah, I would. Yes, it would need to be like the only thing I did if I wanted to start one of them. Although, I mean, like Stellaris is also like that, and it's I, I managed to get into it enough because I think, I think also part of it is that like I'm just not quite as into like the historical strategy stuff, like. It just doesn't quite appeal to me as much, much in the same way that like Cities Skylines feels like the kind of game that I would really enjoy. But I don't like that it's this like modern, like skyscraper filled city kind of thing. I think I'd be much more into a game like that if it was, I don't know, just had a, a different setting. Like there, there's something about it that just doesn't just doesn't really strike me, even if it though was like, a modern... it does sound cool. If it was a modern zoo tycoon or roller coaster tycoon game, (laughs) I would be there. Oh my god, yes. That would be great. I'm into that. But as for games that like we actually are into and probably are going to play, I think for both of us, the standout of the show was uh, this game called the Lamplighters League. Yeah. Uh, And that is a like a tactical turn-based game, which is like we're saying, like the the side of the genre that we're kind of both more into. Uh, And it's also uh, crucially for me, it is a harebrained schemes game. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, harebrained schemes made the Shadowrun games and the BattleTech game, uh, which I'm I'm a huge fan of. So that alone makes me really excited for Lamplighters League. It's a from what it, it, it looks like a sort of Indiana Jones adjacent sort of adventure game where you're this sort of like um, you know like globe trotting game 
of, of moving from place to place and trying to recover these like artifacts, which there's obviously a lot of fraught territory there. The, the sort of colonial legacy of the real life people who did this to rob mm-hmm. real places of real treasures. So there's a lot of room for this to go like completely wrong. But genuinely, I'm not like harebrained schemes like their writing tends to be really sharp and they have tackled like especially in Shadowrun they they tackled a lot of things that could have blown up in their faces and done it I think very well they've 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 shown themselves to be able to handle things like this without falling into those kind of nasty tropes so I unless I see evidence otherwise I don't really have a huge concerns that they're going to flood this but yeah you so you haven't played you're not like as much of a fan of this studio or this you know their their history so what is it exactly that makes this game look appealing to you I mean, it's really just the like Indiana Jones vibes Mm -hmm. as someone who like grew up watching those movies and very much enjoys them. I saw this and I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) It's basically Indiana Jones. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I want to play this. I'll I'll give it a try. It's going to be coming to Game Pass day one. So I have like no excuse not to play it. Yeah. Uh, it'll be fun, especially while I'm like waiting for the Bethesda Indiana Jones game that allegedly still exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. That game will come out in 2035. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's you know, it is a tactics game, a turn-based tactics combat game. Um, but from what they've kind of shown off, it, it seems to be very character-driven. Uh, it's about like recruiting these different members to your, like to your crew. Like as you travel the world, you kind of meet new folks who join in on your you know, on your exploits. Uh, but there's also like, in addition to the sort of like tactical layer, there's a sort of, there's a like a real time element to it as well. And that part of the game kind of reminds me of games like Desperados or Shadow Tactics, which are both games made by the same developer that are sort of real time strategy games that are more about like stealth than like actual you know, just turn-based combat. Uh, so like before the the rounds of this game start, you can kind of like sneak around the map and try to create opportunities to either take out enemies or just set yourself up to, to go into things in a better position, which I think is really cool. I've recently been replaying a little bit of Battletech. And one thing that I am finding really annoying is like, if there are no enemies on your map, you just return to this kind of like turn-based movement that is just like very kind of slow and plodding and doesn't give you those opportunities to like set up your positioning quite as well. Because once you spot enemies, you basically have to take a full turn of movement and then combat sort of starts. It just sort of doesn't allow you to to play with the time that you have that when you've been undiscovered and like make those sort of sneak attacks and things. Um, so I'm hoping that this is kind of a, a bridge between those things. I think it's interesting that they're trying to do both uh, continue doing turn-based combat, which is what they're excellent at, and kind of feed in a little bit more of this real-time stuff. And like, they're clearly playing with something new and seeing like how they can make this work. Uh, so yeah, I'll be eager to see how that how that works out. Basically, anything from this developer, I will give a shot to. <laughs> so so this will be a fun one to play once it finally does come out, which is I think it's later this year, right? It's it's not a very far wait for it. Uh, it says coming twenty twenty three. Okay. So who knows? (laughs) I think the other one that caught my eye the most is this game called Life by You. I mean, it's fine. (laughs) I mean, it looks like a a Sims game. It looks like The Sims. Yeah, I don't know. They they didn't really show too much of it. Uh, I think they have an event coming up in the next couple of weeks where they're going to show off more of it. But it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a life sim. It it looks good. They didn't really show enough to get super excited about it. Uh, But you know, we'll learn very soon if it's something that I'm going to get that interested in or not. 
Yeah. It is weird. I feel like The Sims is one of those weird games where it's like it just has the monopoly on a on the yeah, genre. Really, yeah, it really does. Um, and I don't really know like another game that does that. Yeah, like for any genre where they just like have a monopoly. Yeah, it's very weird because I mean it is like a life sim game, but it is its own type of them. Like there are plenty of other life sims that like you know we have both enjoyed, but they're they're very different from The Sims. Like mm-hmm. that kind of like micromanaging like a character's life like as opposed to i don't know games like harvestella or whatever where it's like the point is you're overseeing this like farm and creating things whereas yeah the sims is very focused uh on like an individual's like needs and 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 meeting what they you know giving them what they want to have like a like to enjoy in life (laughs) and it's like yeah no one else really does that in the same way so it's really interesting to see another game take on you know, a game in a genre that basically only has one game in it. I have to imagine they have something there that makes it seem like worth doing, right? Because if they're just trying to like copy The Sims, then there's no way that they would convince people who love The Sims to like jump ship to them. So I'd be eager to see like what it is that makes this game, you know, interesting enough that it would be, you know, they would pursue it that way. So there was like a, a lot more shown at the Paradox show. Uh, but there is our kind of the games we've talked about are the games that we're interested in. <laughs> so I don't think any of us really either of us have really have much to say about the rest of the show. But if you're a fan of this type of game, it's definitely worth looking at the show because there's lots there were there were lots of big announcements. But since we talked a little bit about, you know, strategy games this week, I just want to spend a little bit of time calling out a couple of games that have been, you know, taking up most of my week. So full disclosure, I'm like getting sicker. <laughs> As we record this, uh, I can feel my brain melting inside my skull. So this is audio proof of you just deteriorating. Yeah, this live. Yeah, here, here it is, me falling apart uh, live. So I was going to talk more about these two games, but I think I'm going to kind of keep it short for this week and maybe talk about them more next week once I've had more time to talk about them. But the two games I've been playing have been Phantom Brigade, which is a game I actually shouted out a couple of weeks ago because there was a Steam demo for it. It is a turn-based tactical uh, mech combat game, but with a very interesting conceit, which is that like your turn, rather than just like choosing like I'm going to move my unit here and make this attack, you can you move all of your units at once, and the way that you control them is by placing like movement and attacks on literally what is looks like an editing timeline from like Adobe Premiere or like any other like video editing program. So you can like fine-tune kind of like the timing of all these different attacks uh and so you're you're balancing like you can't just like attack 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 because those all generate like heat in your mech and if you do too many of them you will like you know burn yourself out and shut down or whatever but it's like it's a very interesting twist on on this this genre uh and it's also very uh kind of rewarding because at the end of like once you make all of your turns you get to watch them all play out in real time and it can be extremely cool to see like spend like five minutes very intricately planning out these attacks you're going to do and then watch your mechs like weave in and out like between each other and like you know you can set up one to like intercept fire for another one so they can get a better shot off and and there's lots of just cool tricks you can pull with it so i was obsessed with this game for like the first couple of days that i played it and then i kind of pretty quickly realized that there's like like there's like kind of nothing to the campaign like it's just you just move through a series of battles like to reclaim like different you know bits of territory there's kind of no like real escalation there and there is essentially no story like it's about like this army has like invaded your 
home where you live and taken over and now you have to take it back but literally they don't even name like the name of your country or the invaders like they are literally just called the invaders and there are these sort of like events that happened at random times throughout the campaign where you might have someone you know you can throw up uh like a celebration after a big victory and it'll boost your like teammates morale whatever or whatever but they don't really have personalities so like none of that stuff really hits for me so as fun as the combat is I, i've kind of fallen off of it fairly quickly i'm gonna tr- go back into it and like see if i if it continues to be fun but um overall i've been like very impressed with the combat very unimpressed with kind of everything else so once that fell off uh i picked up uh, a game called outlanders which is another game that I played during that that same demo fest, actually. And this is a like real-time city builder game. But what I really, really love about it is that rather than something like Cities Skylines uh, or like SimCity or whatever, it's not just this like ongoing, like you build a city and you manage all the problems and it just keeps going and going and going. It's divided up into like little levels, which each, each have their own challenges. So for the first couple, uh, there's just like, you know, you have to build a certain number of houses and like store a certain amount of food or whatever. There's an early level that's like build a ship because there's a storm coming and you need to leave. So you have to like set up the facilities you need to be able to make planks to be able to build the ship and then build the ship in time. Uh, so there's basically like one one thing you're trying to accomplish in, in every level. And once you finish that, you can keep playing as long as you want if you like have just you know built a settlement you like and want to keep going with it or just move on to the next one. Uh, and the early ones are very like pretty short. You can finish them in like half an hour or whatever. I'm at the point now I'm like six or seven missions in, I think. Uh, and the last couple have taken me like an hour and a half, two hours, something. So there's, there's, there is definitely a build in like the complexity of the things that you're being asked to do and like the challenge there and how much you need to like manage your you know supplies and stuff. But despite getting more intricate, it, it does maintain this really chill vibe. It's also these very like kind of cartoony looking graphics. It's a, uh, it has a really good sense of humor. Like there's just lots of sort of like the challenges and the the scenarios you're put in are very quirky. Like there's one where you have to build a giant like uh, effigy out of bread. So you have to like set up a bakery and make like a hundred loaves of bread or whatever that you then end up little, you know, villagers end up building this giant human you know effigy made out of bread uh it's just it's very silly and very lighthearted and like uh it it kind of like scratches that strategic itch while still being extremely relaxing and chill and that i've really been enjoying like that hasn't really worn off yet the only thing that's like kind of starting to irk me as the challenges get more intense is there's not a ton of it lacks some of the kind of like micromanagement so you can't like if you build a bunch of houses, you kind of can't reassign villagers to where they to be able to like live near where you need them to work or whatever. So there's some like some of the complexity that you would expect from a, like a standard city builder isn't there. Uh, but the trade off is that it's it's you know kind of less of a mental drain, so you can still kind of relax with it, uh, which which has been really really enjoyable for me. So there's about two games that I've like had a brief like incredibly obsessed like loving them periods and then kind of started to see the flaws and pull away a little bit but i'm I'm planning to go back to both of them like i think they're both they're both very good uh i've been enjoying both of them a lot but uh yeah i know you have also been playing something that's a, a very different kind of game but something you you've been really high on so i wanted to hear from you about your thoughts on bayonetta origins yeah okay so i don't know like about your relationship with like the Bayonetta franchise. 
for me, I'm a big fan. I've, I really like those games. I like Bayonetta as a character. She's really great. Um, see the earlier conversation about my obsession with MILF characters, <laughs> I guess. Um, but, you know, Bayonetta has always been synonymous with like this kind of campy sexual innuendo, like humor and like a hard action game. And then after Bayonetta 3, they announced Bayonetta Origins series in Lost Demon, which is a prequel. Mm-hmm. And it's it has nothing that you would expect a Bayonetta <laughs> game to have. It's like a family friendly puzzle platformer that stars young Bayonetta or mm-hmm. Cereza as she is then. And I I was really interested in this game when it was announced at the Game Awards because it just it came out of like left field kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember we like all saw that trailer and, and everyone was like, what is this? Why are you doing it? Like, it looks cool, but it's such a strange idea. So like I played the game and I've reviewed it and this game is really good. Like I, I am really high on this game. I think it's incredible. I also think like something I, I was thinking about a lot is as much of a fan of the Bayonetta franchise as I am. I was one of those people that felt very burned by the finale of the third game and kind of did see it as sort of a betrayal of the character and what the games have always been. So I was kind of like, I didn't see myself being excited for a Bayonetta game again, but this is so different that I was like, let me see, let me try this out. And it is so confident in its like, everything it's doing and the majority of it is done exceptionally well and i've come away really liking it and you know actually being interested in this franchise so like basically to like lay out what bayonetta origins is is you know it takes place years before the bayonetta games you're playing as young bayonetta and she goes into like this fairy controlled forest one night to follow this white wolf for like plot reasons. And (laughs) she ends up partnering with this demon who she calls Cheshire because the demon uh, possesses her little plushie that she has. And they team up and they have to like spend the night trying to escape the forest. Cheshire's trying to get back to Inferno and Bayonetta's trying, or Cerise's trying to like escape the forest. Mechanically, it's very much like Brother's Tale of Two Sons, where you control both Cerise and Cheshire, but you do it with the two sides of the controller. Or if you're like, playing with the Joy-Cons, the left Joy-Con is Syriza and the right Joy-Con is Cheshire. And the majority of the game is about like exploring the forest and doing these little puzzles and platforming through the game using the two to like, you know, navigate any obstacles, which is pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, obviously I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but it, it really, like I haven't actually played the other Bayonetta games. I tend to kind of not be good at that sort of character action uh, genre in general. But um, yeah, this really caught my eye when I saw it at the show and was uh, it's something I've definitely been looking forward to to playing. There is also a demo that should still be available by the time this episode comes out uh, on Switch. So if you want to check that out, that's an easy way to do it. But yeah, it does, it does look really interesting. And it is such a strange direction for this series. Like, So having played it, do you have... like? any sense of like kind of where this came from like does ha- like having having played this game now does it kind of, does it make sense that this 
would it be where they went? Like, does it tie into the main series in an interesting way? Does it like leave the door open for a new kind of spinoff series? So I would say like, overall, it still makes no sense. <laughs> like, it makes no sense to me how they came up with this. Yeah. Because it is such a departure. They There are some really, really well done connections to the franchise, mm. especially in the like, back third of the game there's some really like well done stuff and i feel like it's loosely open enough where it could be like yeah we could do something else maybe in this vein but i don't know if i see them actually doing that which mm -hmm. is fine because yeah. it's just this was so unique and it's i i really believe and this is like it was such a it's a big statement to say but i think this game is really special compared to all the Bayonetta games, because I think honestly, more than any of them, Bayonetta Origins is the most like cohesive game in the franchise with like the narrative, mm. the art style, the combat, all kind of working together for like a, a theme. And it's done so well. I was like it really I really fell in love with this game. Um, and I think part of it is they like really double down on the childlike, you know, wonder that they're that they're going for. Mm -hmm. I talk about this in the review, but uh, the first thing that happens is the title screen looks like a like a physical storybook, much like if you watch old Disney movies like Cinderella or something, yeah. the movie starts with a like a live action shot of a storybook and it opens and that's how Bayonetta origin starts. Every time you go to the start menu, the title screen is that hmm. this is like put, this is done throughout the game. They, they hold to this aesthetic like so confidently the game is all done in like a watercolor style. Um, Cutscenes are done on like pages of the storybook like you can see the edges of pages and you see like the text of the book and it flips pages when you go through scenes. The game is narrated by a narrator who also does the voice for Cheshire. So it's just like really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. like this really fun thing of like when you have someone who's reading a storybook and they do the voices for characters. Um, it's incredibly confident in this in this choice. And one of the things I also really like is the Bayonetta series, it pulls from a lot of like mythology and literature. And, and honestly, most of the time it's very like vague ways just to use names. Like they pull a lot from Norse mythology and they also pull a lot from uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. Like one of the big things is there's like three different levels there of like the afterlife and heaven because there's Paradiso limbo and like uh, an inferno but it's always been kind of like meaningless <laughs> but bayonetta origins kind of like continues this trend because it uses it uses the language of like the grim fairy tales while also evoking like germanic mythology about fairy and fey folk and it all works so well because it's it's that idea of playing bayonetta origins is basically a story of like a child lost in the forest, like any traditional fairy tale mm -hmm. where it's like, it's about the fear of the unknown. And it's about how this like child deals with difficult things. It's, it's really beautifully done. I think interestingly enough, 
the the biggest drawback of this game is the combat mm. because there is a fair bit of combat which is mostly done by controlling Cheshire. Cheshire is like the big hitter. Cheshire does the the attacks while um Cereza kind of acts like as a support character, but I found myself incredibly bored during combat encounters uh because you can you basically don't need to use Cereza. You can just like wail on enemies as Cheshire and get the job done. And there's like this massive skill tree for both characters. And they even encourage you to like do combos like you would in a Bayonetta game. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not only like it doesn't feel necessary because you can just slam like your main attack, but it also feels almost not realistic because when you're trying to control two different characters on two different sides of the controller, it's really hard to like execute a combo on one side and like execute a different combo on the other. And, and I, it's, it's clearly like supposed to keep this lineage to the, you know, main series, but it actually holds this game back more, but outside of combat puzzle solving and like platforming and exploring the world is really satisfying. I was really, really caught off guard by how charming and like genuinely emotional and like, well-made this game is yeah that sounds that sounds great i will definitely have to check this out now after (laughs) such high praise from the biggest hater i know (laughs) yeah yeah the combat thing is that it reminded me of uh the world ends with you Mm -hmm. which i had like another game that i love but that i had a very similar problem with which is like it became increasingly difficult to like manage two characters at the same time does it feel similar to that at all for you or i've never played the world ends with me oh, okay <laughs> it sounds a little different because there's like direct interaction between syriza and cheshire um but that idea of like yeah controlling two characters in combat is like such an interesting idea but also like feels incredibly challenging <laughs> to actually pull off yeah uh, at any rate, I, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it so much. It, it sounds it sounds great. Uh, I will definitely be checking out that demo. Yeah, I I hope I'm like interested to see what Platinum and Nintendo do next with Bayonetta, like following this. Because mm-hmm. I mean, like full disclosure, we're we're recording this before the embargo comes out. But like, so I know my review and embargo yeah. will be up by the time this comes out. But I don't know what other people think of this game yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to see that actually. Um, but I think it has the possibility to be like really special, and mm-hmm. I wonder what that tells Platinum Games and Nintendo. I don't know if they'll like see this as a new kind of spinoff, or maybe it's just a sign that like do weirder things yeah. with this, you know, yes. franchise. Like you can you can go off. Which is always the lesson that like we hope people take from it. It's just like, don't just do more of the thing that worked. Like take this as an as a motivation to do different things, like do weird things that no one's expecting. That's what we want. It's not just more of the one thing that that happened to hit. Yeah. It'll be interesting, especially because like I know they've they've announced that um Bayonetta 4 is in the works already, mm-hmm. which will be you know, I assume a more direct follow up to Bayonetta three, and I don't know how that will go, considering yeah. <laughs> how I d- yeah people yeah. seem to have really soured on it, like uh, around the ending of Bayonetta three. Yes, exactly. Which I think is a benefit of Bayonetta Origins, basically having nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. is because you don't have to deal with that <laughs> atrocious ending. Um, 
<laughs> but like, I honestly don't see myself coming back after playing Bayonetta Origins to play Bayonetta 4, though, yeah. which is a weird thing. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if like m- maybe they just have to do other things like this again. Yeah, it feels like in a real way that that story is kind of over mm-hmm. and whatever they do afterward is is going to take a lot of work to like, I'm sure people will play it because it's Bayonetta and people like Bayonetta, but to convince people that it is like a like a series that is worth keeping up with, I think is maybe going to be difficult. Yeah, uh, but I, d- I definitely do suggest people give this one a try. It's it's genuinely fun. It's just a good time. Yeah, that sounds great. I know we talked about a bunch of games we've been playing recently, but is there anything else you've been up to since we, you know, talked last? Yeah. So last time we talked, uh, we talked a bit about VR, um, and I mentioned one of my favorite games uh, on on the Quest is still Beat Saber. Uh, and like after getting that into my head, I have for the past week been playing a lot of Beat Saber, which continues to be excellent. Uh, and also one of the cool things about it is that. Beat Saber is actually really easy to mod. From what I, you know, I've heard from people say, obviously <laughs> unofficial, not allowed. I wouldn't know anything about it because I'm a good girl. But uh, supposedly, there's like a website where you can go to and just like easily download this mod and download a bunch of uh, different like user created tracks. And if someone were to do that, let's say uh, you might find a bunch of like twice songs on that website uh, and you could have a lot of fun dancing to those songs uh, because they're very catchy and like really lend themselves to the format. There might also be like a bunch of tracks from Sinar Wild Hearts. (laughs) And, you know, maybe some of them are only have like expert level uh, stages. And so you could spend a whole week like trying to get good at them uh, to like the final song from Sayonara Wild Hearts and just having a great emotional time with those as you flail your arms around. So that's hypothetically uh, how I've been spending my week is just dancing around in my bedroom with a headset on to tracks that may or may not be uh, allowed to exist in the game. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great time. It, it's really cool to see how much like the community continues to make new things for that game. And like going for, there's like, you know, things you would expect, like kind of like fast paced, like, you know, electronic songs, but also just like kind of really off the wall choices have been modded into the game as well. So uh, if you, you know, are one of the few people who actually has invested in VR and has Beat Saber, it's like, I think it's fully worth looking into uh, custom tracks for. I do like that Um, I've gotten you on to twice. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like this, I have never listened to Twice until you started sending me uh, incredibly hot videos of them dancing. Uh, and now I have the song stuck in my head mm. constantly. Uh, and, and they are really like, honestly, like the, the songs that they have mapped for Beat Saber are tremendously fun. Like people have clearly put a lot of work into making it not like match, you know, the kind of like dance that you would see in like a video, obviously, but it feels like the movements you're making uh are kind of reminiscent of of the sort of dance that you would the performance that you would see twice doing in a video which is really cool and like makes you feel extremely cool (laughs) um out of curiosity do you have a specific twice song that you've been really loving um let me i don't know the the names are out let me look at the ones (laughs) i have actually and also do you have a bias yet no i don't oh man not yet okay i love them all (laughs) No, sorry. These are not labeled well. I don't know. I'll, that is okay. I'll report back. Yeah. Uh, cool. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. There's like, oh, Talk That Talk is the one that I've been enjoying the most. Nice. But there's lot, there's like tons of them that are great. 
but yeah, that's been that's been my week. Uh, what have you been getting up to? Besides, you know, finishing up Bayonetta Origins for review, the mm-hmm. thing I've been doing a lot in the apartment is watching The West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so The West Wing is Zoe's favorite show. And mm-hmm. we've watched it before. She's made me watch watch it before. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know what it is. In the past, like, two weeks, we just put the West Wing on like one day when we were doing something. And now we're at like the end of season two. But it's been, I mean, it's a really fun show to binge watch. Uh, mm-hmm. We've just like had it on the TV all day for like the past two weeks. It's very enjoyable. I like as much as I think Aaron Sorkin kind of like has gotten worse as a writer. Yes. Um, the West Wing is definitely like peak Sorkin. And it's very fun. Like the characters are really, really fun. I think there's a lot of interesting things like rewatching it again and being like, man, I hate this president. Like in reality, if this president was president, yeah. I'm so annoyed. Like there's <laughs> there's so many weird things. It's it's a fun show to watch. And it's like I can I can suspend my disbelief, but it's so funny watching it because it's a show that like at its core believes in like the power of government and believes yeah. that like both sides are doing this because they care about like the people. Uh, um, yeah, it's a very, a, it's a show that what a wild fantasy. <laughs> it's a show that really believes in like bi- bipartisanship, which is insane, but yeah, it's very fun though. Like there's some great things. Like I always think about um, the big block of cheese day episodes where, especially the one in season two, where they have the cartographers for, for like social equality who come to the White House to give like a speech. And basically they talk about how the the way the map is drawn is enforcing like colonial ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's this really, really great segment of the show. It's so good. Like if, if you haven't seen it before, you should just look it up. Just like look up, you know, West Wing season two, big block of cheese. And I'm Wait, sure you'll what, find yes. it. What does this mean? What does big block of cheese day oh mean? Oh my God. I can't believe you asked me this. So this is a big <sighs> joke in the show because I'm going to, I'm going to do my best Leo McGarry. Don't know what that means. Man, haven't watched the West Wing. No, um, I don't. So no. they, during big block of cheese days, they always give this speech during, during Andrew Jackson's presidency, there was a big block of cheese that sat in the lobby of the White House. It was two tons and the White House was open to the public to come in if anybody was hungry or had nowhere to go and they could eat some of the big block of cheese. And it was supposed to encourage the people to believe that the White House was their place and that it was there to serve them. So in the spirit of Big Block of Cheese Day, the staff of the White House in the West Wing always have a big block of cheese day during the year where the senior staff meet with groups who typically would never get the ear of the White House so that they can like make their case as to why their, you know, um, cause should be supported. And so it always leads to these very hilarious scenes where people are like asking absurd things, but sometimes they're like really cool things that actually should happen. Um, Zoe credits the first big block of cheese episode at, um, for making her sister want to be an environmental engineer. So <laughs> it's very fun. Um, so something good came of it. Yeah, That's cool. exactly. 
so I've, we've just been watching the West Wing. Uh, it's been really fun. It's it's like a great show to just have on in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I suggest people watch it. And if you don't want to watch the whole show, just watch the season two Big Block, che- Big Block of Cheese Day episode. Cool. I will absolutely not be doing that, but uh, I'm glad you're having a good time. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, but with Big Block of Cheese Day, <laughs> I think that's it for us. Um, you can mm-hmm. listen to Girl Mode anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on socials on Twitter at Girl Mode underscore pod and on co-host at Girl Mode dash pod. I'm on both of those places at the Willow Row. And I am at Robin Bombas. Okay. Well, uh, I'm dying. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to get out of here before Robin dies on audio. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, yeah. you'll be back next week with a new host after I perish. Yeah. Uh, it's been nice knowing you. Cool. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Yep. god literally have i said on this recording that they make shadow run yes. and battle pack or was that before we started no you said that well i'm losing my fucking mind <laughs> <sighs> okay i'll start just i'll just start gaslighting you'll be like no what do you mean yeah that's gonna be really really good for both of us yeah um okay put that uh, on the tag <sighs> oops <laughs>